Hey guys, today I'm speaking with Manisha Takor. She's a Harvard Business School grad, author of two books. She's managed billions of dollars in investments as a financial analyst for firms, and now she owns a boutique investment firm specializing in helping women and families with over a million dollars in assets. If that wasn't enough, she's also a speaker, and she speaks about financial matters and how everyone can be financially fit and increase their financial literacy. Um, In this episode, we dive deep on how the regular person can start living within their means, but also start flexing their muscles in the area of smart investing, which is something I find really interesting as I've been learning more about the FIRE community, and that stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. So we get all into that, and then we pivot into mental health, which seems like it doesn't really relate, but believe me, when you hear this conversation, you'll see how much it does and how one-third of people in this country suffer from a mental health disorder. Um, And she's always been super open and honest in her speeches about her own battle with mental health. Um, And it just really is a powerful and illuminating conversation about health and wealth and what that means, both financially and with our mental health. So I really am excited to share this with you. Um, Enjoy. And without any further ado, here's Manisha Takor. This episode is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi offers completely non-GMO organic superfood blends that makes incorporating really good nutrition into your diet insanely easy. You literally do not have an excuse not to get your fruits and veggies anymore because they've done all the work for you. And if you use the code UNSTRESSED, you will receive 15% off your purchase at OrganifiShop.com. This episode is also sponsored by Sunday Scaries. These are the CBD gummies that are amazing for stress, anxiety. If you just want to feel a little more energized or regain your focus without all of that background chatter in your mind that's not serving you, use the code UNSTRESS for 10% off your purchase at 4sundayscaries.com. Lastly, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. If this is a company you haven't heard of, believe me, in the next year or two, you will. They are doing amazing things in the world of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with their hot cacao with reishi, which is something I'll drink before bed every night. And it's just so relaxing, so calming, and so good for you. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Also, if you love coffee, but you hate the way it makes you feel, like jittery, stressed, just not well, then they have a ton of uh, mushroom blends for coffee. Uh, They also have a really good matcha. So go to foursigmatic.com and use the code unstressed to save 15% off. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am so thrilled for uh, our guest today. She is brilliant. Her name is Manisha Takor, and she I've known about her for a while. If you haven't heard about her, she's going to get all into that and her amazing background and what she's accomplished over the years and just her wealth of knowledge about the world of finance. And this is something that we all can use some help in. So thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to dive into these questions today with you. Lizzie, I'm so excited to talk to you. Awesome. So you started your career as an analyst managing you know, billions of dollars in funds for investment firms. Um, and then I found it really interesting. You, you shifted to helping women and families manage their personal finance. So how did that shift happen? How did you go from this big, huge investment firm corporation side into helping women and families? I would love to tell you it was part of this grand, well-thought-out corporate plan, (laughs) but it wasn't. It was life, which got messy. Mm -hmm. Um, What had happened was um, sort of at the peak of my corporate career, I had written two or co-written two personal finance books with one of my best girlfriends from business school, and we wrote them as 
um, a way to help our, our female friends. And um, who knew? A bunch of publicity took off and one thing led to another. And I started doing all of this media. And at the same time, I got married and um, um, my now ex-husband um, wanted to live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And so I moved. And um, it's very difficult to fly in and out of Santa Fe, which I used to have to do constantly when I um, was working in the corporate world on the institutional side. And so I thought, what can I do where I'm home and not flying around as much um, and um, still stay in finance? And so it was that question that caused me to make the shift. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And then when you did make that shift, was it like a gut knowing like this was the right decision? Um, again, I wish I could tell you yes, but <laughs> I think, you know, one of the things that strikes me about, um, about life and, um, I am not a mom, but all of my close girlfriends are. And as I watch them and they're struggling to build their lives and their careers and, and do it in a way that's happy and joyful and sparkly is that sometimes you just have to go with the flow mm-hmm. and, um, and so, you know, this change happened. It was not the change that I expected. I had expected to spend my whole, insti- my whole career on the institutional side. But it turned out to be the best thing ever because now I feel like I found my life's purpose. And I would never have had that had the universe not caused me to make this career shift in this way. I love that. I love that answer. I think that that's so honest and so real. I mean, you're right. It would have been easy to say, oh, yes, you know, this was totally where I was supposed to be. But it's like, that's so true about life. Like, it really does lead us um, on this path that we had. We had no inclination where we were going. (laughs) Right, right. Just keep your eyes open so you don't fall flat on your nose when you trip over that rock, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Um, but going back to what you're talking about, helping all your friends and these women that you saw were struggling. Um, and that's something I talk a lot about on this show is, you know, the realities of being a woman today, it's completely different than how it was even 20 years ago. I mean, it's just, it just is, you know, it's not good or bad. It's just the way it is. Um, but why do you think, you know, women today still have so much fear around investing and, and what's something that they can do to, you know, take a more active role in their financial security and their financial futures? Well, I think the fear around investing is due to a couple of things. I thought about this a lot. Um, One is that um, having worked in the industry, I know firsthand, it's completely Mm -hmm. male-dominated. And um, I feel like the language of finance is a male language. I don't think it's intentional, but it's like, I notice like you get a bunch of guys in the room and they like speak bro talk, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, I get in a room with a bunch of women and we, we speak differently to each other. And then you get us in a co-ed environment and then there's a perfect symphony of back and forth. Um, and there is not that perfect symphony in investing yet. Less than 5% of senior women in financial services are, um, women and many of them had to act like men in order to get up into those jobs. And so there's been a, a feminine energy that has been lacking in the investing world. Um, and then I think the other thing is I've noticed men, I don't know if you've probably seen these studies that men will say, men will apply for jobs when they have like 40% of the criterion. Women won't apply for jobs until we have like 110% of the yeah, criterion. Absolutely. And 
I think it's the same thing with investing. I think women feel that they need to know absolutely everything about investing before they can pull the trigger. And the problem with that thinking is that investing is the art of making decisions in the face of imperfect information. Mm -hmm. And so when you're striving to be perfect, you're never going to invest because the only reason you get higher returns than you do in savings accounts and investing is because you take some risk. And then I last, the last reason is we're just not taught it. Um, I think, you know, um, men start talking about money to each other early. I noticed like even guys in college will talk about money to each other more readily than women will. None of us are taught it, but I think the dialogue around investing starts earlier for men and they pass along resources to each other, books or things they're reading. And so they end up self-educating faster. Um, but the last thing I'll say is once women do start investing, we are a powerful force. The data shows clearly we tend to trade much less. And as a result of trading less and all that, we have less crazy activity in our portfolio because the testosterone causes men oftentimes literally and physically to act like wild animals. <laughs> uh, but the results are very clear. Studies show women are better investors once they start investing um, our Yep. Hands down. So. Wow. That's really encouraging. I think that that, I mean, that statement alone is really empowering. You know, you don't need to know it all. It's, it's going to be okay. Just take that first step of self-educating, like you said. That's awesome. So um, I've, I've read a lot about your work um, and, and I noticed that you talk a lot about, you know, your number. So could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So that number came about um, in 1992, I had just graduated from college, and a book had just come out, and it was called Your Money or Your Life. And it was written by Vicki Robin and Joe Dominguez, and the book basically had this really powerful concept behind it. It was this notion that most of us have money coming into our lives because um, we or someone near and dear to us worked for it. And when you spend money, essentially, then you're spending that life's energy that was required to earn that money. And so spending is sort of this, this flow of, of life's energy and that you really want to um, honor it. And that was the first principle. The second principle was there was a point at, at which you could get you could get to where you would be able to um, live on your investment portfolio, um, that you're, you are so mindful about how you spent money in your household that you could eventually get to a crossover point, and that's your number, mm -hmm. um, where you don't have to work. Um, your portfolio can actually support you. And um, so that's how I first heard about the concept um, and I should mention Vicki's book has just been re-released um, for 2018. I sat on a panel with her last month. The book is phenomenal. It's Your Money or Your Life. You can get it at her website, Amazon. Her website's Your Money or Your Life. It, it's life-changing. The last thing I'll say is when I was at Harvard Business School, um, the guys in my class, they didn't call it... Um, like my number, they called it the FU number um, <laughs> or the FU fund. And it was the point at which you could tell an employer, you know, FU, I'm out of here. Um, I have enough financial freedom that I can do whatever the heck it is that I want to do. That's amazing. Um, 
I'm getting so into that whole fire community. It's that financial independence. What, what's the rest of it? Uh, retire early. Exactly. Those are, um, they, they call Vicky now the, the millennial whisper because this fire community has blossomed. Um, and the core Bible, if you will, of the, uh, um, financial independence, retire early fire movement is Vicky's book, your money or your life. Wow. Well, we'll definitely have that in the show notes for everybody listening because that is life-changing. And I find it just completely fascinating. And I can't believe that this is the first time I've really heard about her and and that community. I mean, it's really been recently, but like you said, it is kind of like this cult thing that's happening now. And and I think it is so attractive to people to be able to say F you to their their boss and just kind of live on that life on their own terms because we can do that now. Yeah, it it it's fascinating. Wow. So what are some of your key tactics for, you know, simplifying, you know, finances are complicated. You know, most people are just like, oh, it's too much. I can't handle it. There's too many acronyms. What, how do you kind of break it down for women that you work with and make it more simple? So, um, two answers to that. Professionally now I work, um, exclusively in the high net worth sector. So I'm helping households and I have a a particular focus um, uh, at the firm I'm I'm honored to work for, Brighton Jones, um, on high net worth individuals, women in particular that have a million or more in investable assets. But one of the things that I'm most passionate in life is helping people get to the point where they have a million dollars in investable assets so they can come to a firm like Brighton Jones. And I think it boils down to a couple things. The first is um, spend less than you earn. And that sounds really obvious, but it's the same thing that we all hear in the fitness world. Like we we, want to get back to our high school or college bodies where you have to... um, uh, eat less than you are expending in calories. And it, that sounds like I'm being trite and simplistic, but I cannot tell you how many people I meet who are living beyond their means. And it's not people who have household incomes of 50000 or 75000 or $100,000 a year. I see the same thing in households who earn a million dollars a year mm-hmm. and spend $1.1 million, or people who I'm earning $2 million and spend $2.4 million. So I see it at every level of the economic spectrum. So learning to live within your means is the number one. And the tools in your money or your life really um, help you um, identify that. I'll just quickly summarize one, um, which is um, you take your uh, uh, your um, expenses. And if you can tolerate this, write it down for a, 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 a month. If you can't tolerate that, do a week. If you can't do that, do a weekend. But at the end, you don't have to add up any numbers and judge yourself. All you have to do is take out a highlighter and highlight anything you spent money on that did not bring you joy. Mm. And that's the place where you start looking to cut money out of your budget. And it could be soccer lessons for the kids and you hate driving them there and Mm -hmm. they hate the coach. Um, (laughs) It could be expensive dinners out with another couple where, um, you know, when you split the bill, you always want to like split their head because they're the ones that always order two bottles of the most expensive wine and you don't drink and I have to pay for half of it. And mm-hmm. you know, so things like this, um, and then there, people tend to find, I'm giving some extreme examples, but people inevitably find places in their lives 
where they are spending and it's not bringing them joy. And if you can rearrange that, that is a great first place to start in terms of living within your means. I think that's so important, you know, right then what you just said, so many people are doing this and they think that, you know, this is just the way it has to be, you know, well, everyone else has their kids in soccer. We can't, you know, say no to this couple. We've known them for 10 years. We don't really like them, but you know, this is what we do. So for you to kind of say that and give people permission to step back and be like, you know what, I, I am driving this ship. I can really direct it any which way I choose. I think that that's very, very empowering and really important for our listeners to hear. Well, and I think there's, um, there are two more steps, and I, I will be much briefer with these. The second step after living within your means is that we'll leave money over for saving and investing. Um, ideally, you want um, a, at least a three-month nest egg of your essential expenses. So that doesn't mean everything you would spend on a month, just if if your household lost its income enough to keep going for three months. Once you have that, um, or as you're building that, you can start investing for the future. And that is so key because, again, it goes to the, the, the fitness analogy. If you want to get fit, first you eat less, then you expend in calories, and then you um, build up your, your muscles and your body. And it's the same thing when you are investing. You're essentially building up your muscles, your financial muscles, because of this thing called inflation. So if you had $100 in your back pocket and you came home from a crazy day and you said, you know what, that's it. I'm done mothering. Uh, I'm going to flop on the sofa and I'm going to get up in 30 years. (laughs) Um, If you stood up in 30 years, you'd still have that 100 bucks in your back pocket, but it would only be worth what $40 is today. And that's due to the power of inflation. And I'm assuming 3% inflation in that example. And so um, if you assume inflation is 5%, that $100 drops to 20 bucks. So the whole reason you invest after you do the hard work of living within your means is so that you can help your money maintain its muscles, keep its purchasing power so it grows over time so that when you get into your retirement years or you hit your number, you've got enough in money that it actually matches. um, uh, Ideally, it doesn't just keep pace with inflation, but it exceeds inflation. And investing can be really overwhelming. So I like to recommend two resources. One is the book I co-wrote on my Own Two Feet, A Modern Girl's Guide to Personal Finance. Section B of that book is probably the best 60 pages I've ever written or co-written on finance. The other book I recommend is Investing Made Simple. It's less than 100 pages. It's written by a guy named Michael Piper, P-I-P-E-R. And when you're done, you'll feel like an investing rock star. Wow, Um, that's awesome. And I'll just say the third piece to all of this is um, uh, if you have debt of any kind, mortgage debt, car debt, credit card debt, um, uh, student loan debt, many people start struggling with student loan debt, mm-hmm. make sure you're making your minimum monthly payments on time so it doesn't affect your negatively affect your credit score. On-time payments is like something like 30 or 35% of your credit score. And the easiest way when you're busy and going in 12 directions, um, raising a family and managing a household is to put those on auto pay so that you, you, you never forget at least making that minimum payment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's really important for people to realize um, just making that minimum payment at the very least, just so it doesn't affect your score. That's great info. 
Um, so do you think, do you think the issue of people not living within their means, do you think that's the most common issue, uh, that people have with money or is it something else? Um, tactically in terms of being able to find the, the money to invest, pay off your debt, um, build for the future. Uh, yes. Living with be living at or beyond your means is the biggest single issue that I mm-hmm. see. And it happens because we see everybody else doing it. And, and I'm, I'm here to say, if we, um, all disrobed financially, we would scream at what we're seeing because <laughs> it's like so many people are living beyond their means. Um, but I think the other, the other reason is, um, Money is oftentimes never about, not oftentimes, money very frequently is not about money. Mm. It's about success. It's about power. It's about control. Um, It's about fear. It's about overwhelm. It's about confusion. It's about so many different feelings. Um, And so uh, the most common issue that I see is that everybody has some personal story around money that is making them deal with it through that lens. And so when to have a healthy relationship with money, you need to deal both with learning the basics, but also dealing with any of the emotional baggage around money that's present in your life. And the best resource I know to take care of that is Dr. Kate Levinson. She's a, a psychologist who specializes for for the last couple of decades and helping um, people and couples um, deal with money issues. And she's written a wonderful book called Emotional Currency. Um, and Kate Levinson's um, book really helps people walk through those money blocks. Wow. I think that's so important. And I think a lot of times people, again, are unaware that they even have these oh, yeah. issues. It's totally unconscious. And then, you know, problems arise or you're in debt and you're like, how did I get here? And then... My my parents um, um, never. My, my parents denied themselves everything. They were so frugal, and I just felt like I couldn't live that way. So I, did, you know, as I got older and I started my family, I didn't want to have that deprivation feeling in our household. And so mm-hmm. I swung in the other direction. And I mean, there, there are a lot of things that cause you to do things that you don't even realize are happening. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But kind of what you talked about before, disrobing, that's the perfect segue into my next question. And it's about your first book that you wrote called Get Financially Naked. And it talked about the importance of being on the same page regarding money with your partner. Um, So what are some key takeaways people who haven't read the book yet uh, can know about that? So I think the biggest thing is to know that um, money can often be the third person in your marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, money is the number one cause of cause of divorce and stress in in marriage, even beyond um, uh, arguing on, over kids and arguing over sex. Um, money comes first mm-hmm. um, in, in most households. And I think it's because when you meet that special someone, nobody asks you, you know, they say, are you physically attracted to each other? You know, are you intellectually attracted to each other? Are you, you know, do you have compatible religious views? But nobody asks if you're financially compatible. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes savers and spenders are, are attracted to each other because we're often attracted to the pieces that are a little different from the way we are. And, um, and so um, it's, it's, 
it's the rare couple that comes together and is just without any conversation, completely aligned financially. And, and we're not given the tools to talk about it in our relationships either. And so I have a quick, um, quiz, a a financial compatibility quiz. That's a great wing woman for your conversation. You can sit down with it with your spouse and it helps you identify on three levels, knowledge, interest, and behavior, um, what's going on. Um, and you can download it, um, for free off my website. It's moneyzen.com and it's located under the books section. If you go to the get financially naked part of the books at the bottom, you'll see the, um, uh, financial compatibility quiz. Wow. So I guess my next question is what if your partner is not on the same page with you you've been married five years, you're starting to really get to know each other and see each other's tendencies. And it's like, what do I do now? I mean, is the relationship over at that point? No, I'm happy to report it (laughs) can be salvaged. It takes work just like any other issue in a relationship takes work. Um, as you're starting to build your wealth and you may not be at the wealth level to afford an individual financial advisor, sometimes talking with your CPA can help um, mm-hmm. as somebody to just sort of lay out the numbers. And you know, if the issue around money is spending too much or too little, um, that uh, I, I, your, a financial advisor is a perfect person to have that conversation with. A lot of people are using the so-called robo-advisors to start to invest right now when they're just getting started, and I love them. Um, for women, my favorite is Elevest. Um, another great one is Betterment. Um, but, but I think the important thing, and that's why um, uh, Sharon, my co-author, and I, we, we created this financial compatibility quiz, is just to get a sense of where you are not aligned Um, but then also where you are aligned so you can honor and see all the places that you think alike and then you can figure out how to work on the the places that you you don't think like and like everything in a marriage there will just have to be some compromise but when you understand um, where the other person is coming from it makes it easier to set up those compromises I love that and I think I mean and I love how you said you know honor honor where you are aligned because yeah there's still good too. I mean, you have to focus on the good that does exist um, in order to continue to propel that positive change. I love that. Precisely. Wow. So I want to get into the FIRE community. Um, It's something I can't believe I'm just really hearing about this now. Um, It's the financially independent retire early community. And I'm sure you've heard about this. Um, How, what do you think are the key successes of that group and how can our listeners you know, tap into your knowledge and, and get there themselves. So, um, the financial independence retire early movement, I I am not kidding when I say the, it's Bible is, um, your money or your life. Mm -hmm. Um, and reading that book, I really think is the single, um, the, the simplest way to get all of the details on how to, um, accomplish that. But from a big picture standpoint, what I would say is that um, understanding that um, right now, many of us could work for 30 or years or so, but, you know, if you have a traditional career and you retire at age 65 or maybe 70, you could live to a hundred. I mean, you Mm -hmm. literally could live as many years in retirement 
as you spent working. And so conceptually, every year that you work, you are not only having to fund that year's living expenses, but also tuck away in investments um, enough money so that as it grows and compounds and gets bigger over time, um, you have enough to fund those years when you're not working, which could potentially be um, and this is an extreme case, but it's it's possible logistically for every one year that somebody works that they have to pay for that year's living expenses and a year of living expenses in retirement. And so that's why um, all of these concepts that we've talked about, um, the financial independence retire early movement is designed to help you get your spending in line and get your saving and investing kick started so that you can hit that number as early on in your life that allows you to have um, extremely high odds of living the life that you want without running out of money, no matter how long you live. Wow, that's so powerful. And that kind of, you know, makes me think of, you know, your second book on my own two feet. And that was such an amazing primer for anyone kind of wanting to get a handle on their finances before, you know, they even get on the road to, you know, becoming part of that fire community. So going back to that, if people are, you know, usually people tune in to hear these kinds of podcasts, because they just want to know where to start, you know, they, they, they realize they're not where they want to be. And so they're, they're listening in for that. So what would be your advice to them to just, you know, get a handle on their finances and start on that right path? I think the number one thing that I've seen transform people's financial lives is when they transform the way they think about money to begin with. And they think about it when, when somebody transforms dealing with their money and it's like, ugh, boring, stressful, mm-hmm. overwhelming. And you shift from that into, okay, financial well-being is part of my overall well-being. And when I have my finances in order, I don't feel stress. Um, if, if I'm um, in a partnered relationship, my partner and I feel close together. Um, um, if, if you're raising kids alone, you feel, you know, that your financial life is in a place that it does not affect your ability to parent wisely and calmly and deliberately. And so I really think it boils down to first defining or defining your overall well-being as something that includes financial well-being. I love that. I mean, I feel like that's a place everyone listening can start from just wanting to be healthy in, in every sense of the word. Yeah. Wow. So I'm going to transition a little bit. And this was honestly one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to reach out to you. Um, I was listening to you speak to IIN, which is the um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And, you know, it was another lecture on finances. And I was like, oh, I'll listen to this. And, And the minute you started talking, you talked about your struggle with anxiety and depression. And immediately you had my attention. And the way you spoke... I mean, I just had never, I thought this was going to be about finances. And then I I see this, you know, this beautiful woman speaking from a place of truth and authenticity about her struggle. And I just, I was enraptured. And so, um, yeah, it really struck me. So, and, and I think too, you, you're, you went to Harvard business school. You're this very accomplished woman and, and people are so uh, surprised when someone of that stature says, Hey, I struggle too. So how are you able to deal with your diagnosis and then get to that point where you could actually stand up in front of thousands of people essentially and tell your story? 
So I have struggled with mental health issues. Um, it's clear to me I've been struggling with them for at least 25 years. I, I can remember very clear. I'm 48 now. I can remember very clearly struggling in college, and it may have started as early as high school, um, but it certainly accelerated in my 20s and into my 30s. Um, and um, dealing with a mental health system is a bit of a nightmare because the way we diagnose mental health issues is I mean, there's not like a blood test you can take so that the doctor can know exactly what set of uh, medicines to put you on or, or what health regimen to, to encourage you to follow in order to address your depression and anxiety. The way still we get um, on the proper set of, of meds um, and a life regimen is through trial and error. I mean, the, do the doctors um, try different combinations and they see which ones work. And and often, not always, but often a diagnosis is backed into in that manner. Um, and so the first thing I say is a lot of us start off, I started off um, t talking to my, my general physician, like, I, I'm feeling very depressed. I'm feeling very anxious. And so she, she prescribed some um, anti, uh, anxiety medicine and, and some um, depression medicine. But it didn't really help. It actually um, made it worse. And so then my next step was to go reach out to a psychologist. And I went through talk therapy and EMDR and um, CBT. Um, and that didn't help. And finally, I got to an actual psychiatrist. Um, and even there, um, it took a long time. Um, I tried multiple different combinations and dosages of um, antidepressants um, and anti-anxiety uh, medicines. And by the way, like this is not like some logical process that I'm moving through calmly and comfortably. <laughs> I'm like in the floor. Uh, I can remember this clearly when I was at Harvard Business School. I was on the floor of my dorm room in a fetal ball, sobbing. It just like my body was shaking. I was sobbing so hard. I had such anxiety. I could barely get out of bed. Mm. And um, that was the first time that I, I went to see a psychiatrist. Um, and it's really only been in the last three years that I feel like I've gotten a proper diagnosis. And mine is bipolar too. Um, and it turned out all those years that I was being treated with um, depression and anxiety meds, um, it it wasn't the right diagnosis. I needed the introduction of a third medicine, an atypical antipsychotic. Um, uh, in my case, I'm, I'm on Lamictal. Um, I needed that to be added to my medical medicine cocktail in order for my brain chemistry to function. And so what I want people to know is no one makes it through the mental health um, uh, cycle of getting on the right set of meds. Um, without a lot of trial and error. So if it feels frustrating to you, you're not alone. Please keep seeking help. And often working with a psychiatrist is the best way to go because um, they can more accurately pinpoint the meds. And the second thing is you just never know. You feel like you're so alone when you're struggling with depression and anxiety. Um, I am positive the people that I worked with for years had no idea how um, some days I could barely get out of bed, um, how sometimes I'd have to go into a conference room and just breathe because my anxiety was so stressed or so heightened that I could barely make it into a meeting. Um, and so you're, you're not alone. And, and 
one out of three of us struggles with some form of, of mental health issues. Yeah. I think that that's, that statement is really empowering for anyone listening. Um, that the knowing that you're not alone. And I think that's where so many, you know, suicides happen and, and just not people not reaching out and, you know, having shame around seeking help. Like it's okay. You know, hearing, you know, stories like yours and others, it's, it makes it okay because obviously it worked for you and you stuck with it. Thank God um, to, to get to where you are now. Well, and I want to be, I also just want to say, there are two or three points in time where there's a very fine line between being suicidal and, and, and not. Um, and I have bumped up against that edge three times. Um, and so I, I mean, not everybody who has mental health issues has it to that, that level of severity, but I just want people to know that there is hope because that's how bad it was for me at certain points. Um, and um, lean on your family, lean on your friends. Do not be afraid to, to say I'm struggling in this manner um, and keep pushing till you can find the right um, doctor that you vibe with and feel comfortable with who can help you figure out this very messy um, issue, which is what combination of meds or activities is going to help your specific brain chemistry get settled into a place that you really feel um, joy again. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you said in the past three years, you know, you've really felt like you've, you've found that right balance. How has your life changed? And then, you know, even speaking about it too, I'm sure that's, you know, prompted your healing as well. So I, it's interesting. I started speaking about it. Oh gosh. I think about six or seven years ago. So before I got the, the, the correct, the bipolar two diagnosis. Um, and I started talking about it honestly, because I had hit my number and I was at a place where, um, I could do whatever the heck I wanted. Um, and I had felt such shame and embarrassment talking about it because I worked in financial services and, and nobody wants a, a depressed or anxious person managing their money. Um, and so I was, that's what I thought. So I felt so afraid to say anything about it. And once I hit that point, I felt like I wanted to just advocate. Um, I have a long family history. My grandmother was institutionalized, had electroshock therapy back when no one would ever talk about this. She was just taken away. Nobody, my mom was not told why. My mom has struggled. My mom has a PhD in biology, brilliant woman, but she struggled all her life with this. And I just, I wanted just for the sake of the women in my lives to be, and it affects men too. So just to be talking about it. Um, and um, since getting the bipolar di- two diagnosis, all I can think is how unbelievably different life feels right now. How I feel, my brain is calm and quiet, and I'm I feel alive again and happy again. Um, not that every day is great, you know. I mean, I have uh, I have a, a, a regimen I have to follow of meds, sleep, exercise, nutrition, and meditation. And when I'm on the road for work, the, mm-hmm. that second bit gets thrown off. And even with the meds, if I don't follow that second bit, I fall apart. And um, and so, I mean, it, it's not like it's perfect, but the big thing that I I want to um, say is. Um, I wish I had been a little more aggressive in 
speaking up when I still wasn't feeling good. I, I often thought like, I'm just broken. Um, this is how it's always going to be. Like the doctor gave me this and it didn't work. And uh, m- maybe this is just my cross to bear. Um, and so I wish I had been a little, uh, I had, I had had more confidence to keep advocating for myself and get to that right doctor earlier. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of answers my next question. I mean, what would you say to anyone dealing with anxiety or depression, you know, um, and they might be like you in a position where, you know, they're afraid to talk about it because their job might be affected or they just, they don't want that perception on them or what they think they might be perceived as. What would you say to them? So I would say, um, please, please, please know that um, as you look around, one out of every three people you are seeing is in the exact same bucket as you. The mental health, um, mental health issues occur along a spectrum. Um, and so it, all of us, where we lie on the spectrum is unique to our own body chemistry, but one out of three human beings on the planet are struggling with this. And so if you can just know that, that you are so not alone, I mean, literally, um, over 2 billion people on the planet, since there are 7 billion of us now, um, are struggling with this. And so um, be gracious and kind and loving to yourself. And when you're having a really bad day, n- know that you are not broken and you are not alone. Um, and the single best thing you can do for yourself, for your family, is to reach out for help. Um, there is help. There is hope. Um, I'm not going to say it's an easy process. Um, but it is so worth it. I love that. I I think that that's so empowering. And I feel like I've said that word so many times during this interview, but I mean, I feel like everything that you're saying, you're empowering people to be, you know, to love themselves and be kind and have compassion for themselves if they're dealing with this, or if they know someone who is, you're empowering people to take control of their lives and their finances and their energy. I mean, just I love this interview. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm getting so much out of this. So I know our listeners are too. So ugh, thank you. Um, but what, what, going back to your philosophy, what, what is your philosophy on true wealth, both financially and in life? So to me, everyone's def- to me, true wealth is when you are living from a place of true well-being where whatever the person whatever the, the the pieces of life are that you need in order to feel sparkly and bubbly inside are are in place and um for me my definition of true wealth has um i wrote this down on a cocktail napkin i'd uh, spent my junior year of college abroad at oxford studying and on the plane back i remember kind of reflecting on what i had learned in the year. And, and I, I drew this triangle and at the top I wrote simplicity, mm. the lower right-hand corner, I wrote small joys. And in the lower right-hand corner, I wrote financial independence. And every year at the new year, I would kind of redo my, my goals for the year. And I'd ask myself, has anything changed in that triangle? And, you know, here I am 25 years later and simplicity, small joys and financial independence are still, um, the core elements of my definition of, of true wealth and everybody's will be different, but it's that, that point at which you feel in total alignment with your beliefs and, and values. And that to me is true wealth. I love that. I love that. Absolutely. Um, 
So now we've reached the point where it's the last question that I ask everyone on the show and everyone offers up a different answer and I love it. Um, So what's something that you've learned in life that you wish someone would have told you earlier on? Um, I'm going to give you a two-part answer. Um, It has to do with with careers and it could be a career in parenting or it could be a career outside the home. And that's that Um, you do not need to be perfect to take the next step. I so wish I had known that. Um, so many times I held my back, held myself back from various opportunities because I thought I had to know it all before I could take that next step. And what I've learned is in all forms of human growth, the only way it happens is step it into the abyss of the unknown. Mm. Um, and the, the other kind of related piece that I wish I had known earlier on is how much of life um, is dependent upon your social n- network. It's how much of your happiness. It's how um, you can help your spouse find a new job if they get laid off. It's how you can find a new job. It's, it's the web of human interactions that really elevates us. Um, and it can't be created in a clinical fashion and it can't be created overnight. It's an organic thing. And I spent the first 15 years of my career working 80 hours a week heads down, paying no attention to other humans. And my life was cold. It was empty. And once I realized how the web of humanity really lifts us all up, it it had dramatically changed my life. And I wish I had known that earlier. Wow. I think everyone listening could definitely benefit from incorporating that in their own lives and just assessing where they're at, you know, in their social network. Is it where they they want it to be? Thank you. Um, so if people want to check out your books or find out more about you, how can they find you? Please come visit me on my personal website. It's moneyzen, M-O-N-E-Y-Z-E-N.com. Um, I have a full-time corporate job. As I mentioned earlier, I work for a, a wealth management firm, um, helping high net worth individuals. Money Zen is my passion project on the side. Um, and it's the place where I try and help everyone, um, no matter what your, your assets um, or income level um, are. And so I'm always looking for good resources to share. Um, and I send out a monthly newsletter when I'm being good. Um, and, um, and so maybe it's a monthly-ish newsletter where I, I highlight learnings and articles and resources to help people um, find true wealth for themselves. Um, and so that is the best place to reach me. And the best way I can help you is, is through, um, through the newsletter and the resources that I um, incorporate into it. Wow. And, you know, I would say too, are you still speaking and doing that? Because you are phenomenal. So if anyone listening wants to have you speak, I would assume going to your website would be the best way. Yes, I do still speak. It's, a, it's gotten a little tougher as my, my job has gotten a little bit bigger on, on the, the daytime front. But I, when I'm able to, I love speaking to groups of women and trying to help empower them. So um, I live in Portland, Oregon, especially if you're in Portland, Oregon, let me know because that's really easy to do. <laughs> um, but yes, all that is on my website. Awesome. Well, you definitely have the gift. So thank you for spending the time with us here today. And uh, yeah, thank you for all that you do. Lizzie, thank you. This has been really, really fun. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. For those of you that have been with me from week one, I just want to say I love you. And if you are new to the show, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. 
We are actually over 10K downloads as of this week, if you can believe it, which is amazing. This has been the absolute most fun ride uh, ever. So thank you for your support. If you haven't already, please, please, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. It helps so much with the show and getting the word out to more and more people about the show. Also, please connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Motherhood Unstressed. I check all of my DMs, and through there is a link to the Patreon page where you can support the show for two bucks a month, which is incredible and so, so appreciated. And then there's also links to my coaching practice, and this is something I've been doing for a while, kind of under the radar, just helping women find more balance in their day-to-day lives. This episode is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi offers completely non-GMO organic superfood blends that makes incorporating really good nutrition into your diet insanely easy. You literally do not have an excuse not to get your fruits and veggies anymore because they've done all the work for you. And if you use the code UNSTRESSED, you will receive 15% off your purchase at OrganifiShop.com. This episode is also sponsored by Sunday Scaries. These are the CBD gummies that are amazing for stress, anxiety. If you just want to feel a little more energized or regain your focus without all of that background chatter in your mind that's not serving you, use the code UNSTRESS for 10% off your purchase at 4sundayscaries.com. Lastly, this episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. If this is a company you haven't heard of, believe me, in the next year or two, you will. They are doing amazing things in the world of medicinal mushrooms. Uh, Right now, I'm kind of obsessed with their hot cacao with reishi, which is something I'll drink before bed every night. And it's just so relaxing, so calming, and so good for you. So it's kind of a no-brainer. Also, if you love coffee, but you hate the way it makes you feel, like jittery, stressed, just not well, then they have a ton of uh, mushroom blends for coffee. Uh, They also have a really good matcha. So go to foursigmatic.com and use the code unstressed to save 15% off.